with Dr. Afia. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the relationship between our hair, our health, and our heritage. For my fourth season, I'm speaking with folks about the politics of appearance. And so I have the perfect guest to talk about this topic, Dr. Monty Harris. So we're sitting in his office right now in Maryland. And so he is an expert because he's a plastic surgeon. Um, And so I'm gonna read a bit of his bio so you get a sense of who he is. Dr. Monty Harris is an internationally recognized authority in cosmetic facial rejuvenation and hair restoration. A surgeon, scholar, and entrepreneur, Dr. Harris is devoted to exploring humanity with an aesthetic compass. At a time when beauty culture is characterized by excessive and sometimes harmful cosmetic procedures, Dr. Harris is committed to pioneering a holistic approach to well-being focused on self-image, health, and heritage as a path to wellness. Over the past decade, his professional focus has concentrated on addressing the growing epidemic of premature hair loss in women and men. His clinical practice has experienced high success in treating alopecia and fostering healthy hair care through multi-modality solution integrating preventive care across the medical and cosmetology communities. This is so exciting. I'm just going to give that portion of your bio today, but thank you for being on my show, Dr. Monty. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Yes, so um, I am just always so impressed by your aesthetic. And so to give more of a background, I know I didn't finish the bio. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you actually entered the space of aesthetics and medicine, how you integrate art and science? So some of your story of your life, basically, (laughs) to to come to those topics. You know, the easiest thing is that, you know, when I look back at my earliest memories, it, it always involved you know, caring about art mm-hmm. and design and architecture. You know, I was a kid growing up in Gary, Indiana, and That's I was where a kid. Yeah, from, exactly. Right? So Michael Jackson <laughs> has played a very interesting and intimate, you know, role in sort of why I do what I do mm-hmm. and how I have evolved, you know, and even my thinking about the things that I do. And so, as a kid out growing up in Gary, I love to draw. And I've always cared about how things looked. And Gary was so close to Chicago, and Chicago had big buildings, so I cared about big buildings and architecture, too. And so, you know, to a certain degree, you know, my whole, I would say, sort of life path has been truly trying to integrate and merge, you know, this, my care and design and my passion for art and design Mm -hmm. with health and healing. And Mm -hmm. so biology and the living sciences were always... um, very intriguing to me, and I was really good in biology, and I always it always made sense. Mm-hmm. You know, things that were regenerative, I could understand biology, and so, you know, entering into medicine was like, well, this is cool. I can mm-hmm. sort of do things related to health and healing, and then I've been trying to figure out how do I merge <laughs> that with this true mm-hmm. intimate passion for, for art and design. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a good journey, mm-hmm. uh, and it's still going and evolving. Yeah. Well, 
there's always constant evolution. And I know you really draw a lot of inspiration from Africa yes, and the African diaspora. And so I'm just even curious in terms of what are some of your African influences? Is it certain um, medicines or plants that inspire your work? Is it certain rhythms? I'm just curious how Africa influences your eye for design yeah. and even healing. Right. And, and so I would say that when I think about identity, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of my uh, relationship with identity, I kind of put it in sort of three components. There's a, there's an organic identity, mm. sort of relationship with nature. There's a cultural identity, sort of my relationship with society, culture, and spiritual identity. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is that, you know, growing up uh, in Gary, you know, we, it's interesting, it was, such, it was a black community. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like 99.9% mm-hmm. black growing up. And so blackness uh, from a cultural perspective, mm. was very much a part of who I was and what I grew up sort of involved with. And, you know, my mom was very, I would say, Afrocentric for mm. a period of time. And in the 80s, the curriculum actually in Gary's public school system, you know, was trying to be more Afrocentric. This is really? sort of after I left. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, so no, it's a big deal. So Malefi mm. Asante, you know, there was this whole idea of really trying to connect kids Mm-hmm. with sort of their, you know, ancestral roots in a manner that could be productive or having culturally competent education. Mm-hmm. And so even though I was probably in high school and beyond, but we've always been very much attuned to the idea of, a, of an African-centered, you know, perspective mm-hmm. and an African-centered identity. So Kwanzaa was a big thing in my house <laughs> growing up, even though we were like, oh, mom, we got to sit and do this. So <laughs> the point is that culturally, mm-hmm. um, I've always had a very sort of um, broad sense of myself, but an African-centeredness mm-hmm. that was important. And then so spiritually, you know, mm-hmm. when we think about ancestors and spirit and God, I, that has also connected me uh, to the diaspora. Mm-hmm. And then as I became a health practitioner mm-hmm. and as I've evolved with my, even my understanding and relationship with sort of integrative health and organic systems, when we think about organic and nature and nature and healing, that also connects me, mm-hmm. you know, with a sort of an African-centered mm-hmm. uh, uh, sort of perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, art, you know, an artistic ability, uh, this capacity, inner capacity uh, that we have to heal and spiritual vision, right, mm-hmm. are very much all connected for, you know, to, with, with indigenous people in general, mm-hmm. particularly those of African descent. Mm-hmm. And so art, spirit, Healing, you know, those are things that mean a whole lot to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I look at that very much through an African-centered lens. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about how all these different elements play a part in your work. Well, um, there's so much complexity and texture in your work as a doctor. But I have to ask something. Right, right. Okay. How does this relate to plastic surgery? Right. And so the whole thing, right. <laughs> and so... You know, when I tell people that, and I'm primarily a facial plastic surgeon, Mm -hmm. so I operate, you know, above the shoulders. And, you know, in my life as a facial plastic surgeon has evolved pretty uh, dramatically over the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. And so I I entered into facial plastic surgery in many ways because of my history in Gary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, growing up in Gary... You know, Michael Jackson was obviously, you know, the most famous person coming from Gary. Mm -hmm. And at one point, you know, I was very much, you know, being this 
artsy kid, you know, artsy young adult going into medicine. You know, I really felt that black folks didn't need to be disfigured by cosmetic mm-hmm. surgery. And I felt that there was an opportunity that if it could be done, it could be done in a, comp- a culturally competent way and be done better. And so a big part of my initial professional life was saying that we can do plastic surgery on folks of color and it can be done better. Mm. And, you know, I became an internationally recognized rhinoplasty surgeon. Mm. So people traveled all over the world to see me for nose jobs. And to a certain degree, I felt like I, I gained a sort of a competency with the operation and some mastery of it to do it and do it well. Mm. Um, but as I continued to grow and evolve in my consciousness, and, you know, I started to also question, still, although, I, you know, it's, it's cool that I can do this well, <laughs> but at the end of the day, does it really make sense? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's always opportunity for you to cultivate your own consciousness and expand your own consciousness. And as I've continued to do that, a lot of the things that I had done in the past related to plastic surgery, I no longer do. Mm-hmm. And as I've gone to look more deeply into understanding my organic identity, my relationship mm-hmm. with nature and, and, and living systems, it's really pulled me farther away from things that may be more toxic, mm-hmm. things that may be, may be more synthetic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this new, and I would say evolving consciousness of really trying to say, how can I be, uh, have my organic identity, you know, fused with my cultural identity, fused with my spiritual identity, mm-hmm. And that has really what allowed me to sort of center a lot of what I do now on hair, because yeah. hair is like the perfect um, material mm-hmm. uh, and, and that allows you to really integrate those things in yeah. a very meaningful way. Yeah, I'm curious how you went from rhinoplasty in terms of being a, an expert on right. black noses right, right. to becoming an expert on black hair. Right. How did that transition happen? Because what happens is that, you know, I'm, I've always been, I like to say I have a good eye, right? Mm-hmm. And so I could always see when things were kind of balanced and symmetrical. And so even with my rhinoplasty patients, the, 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 the technical things that I did for the surgery were always small. They were mm-hmm. always very subtle and conservative. And so patients would come back. And I, we would see the before and after with the nose, and the nose was subtle change. And then I look at their hair, and their hair was this big, like, dramatic difference. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, hold up. You know, when we did this surgery, you know, it, it was like a little finesse. That's, you know, there's a little change there, but now your hair is, like, way out there. And sometimes the hair post-surgery was things that were, could be considered to be harmful. Right. And so it may be, you know, it was it was a a different type of weave. You know, it was (laughs) it was something that, you know, that I knew over time may not be the most healthy thing for their overall Mm -hmm. health, health, scalp health, you know, and psychological health. Because at the same time, I'm seeing patients in my practice with hair loss. Mm -hmm. And so as I started to say, whoa, you know, we've done this one subtle thing, but it's led to another sort of aesthetic choice. Mm -hmm. And the question becomes, was this aesthetic choice related to hair something that was also going to be healthy? And I started Mm -hmm. to see some misalignment there. Mm -hmm. And it really drove uh, me in the practice to start to say, wow, you know, there's an opportunity to use, you know, the practice and the the, um, 
platform of the practice to help women really transition mm-hmm. to, you know, more healthy approaches to their hair in many ways to prevent and minimize hair loss. And so that was sort of the that was sort of the bridge. You know, I'm having cosmetic patients mm-hmm. come in and I'm doing very subtle things <laughs> and and their response to that subtlety sometimes mm-hmm. was with, with really aggressive things related to the hair. And I know through the practice that these aggressive things was really setting folks up for, you know, probably hair loss and hair thinning. Mm-hmm. And so it was a way to say, hey, let's start to change our mindset, mm-hmm. um, both around how we engage our beauty, but really trying to do it in a manner that would be more health conscious mm-hmm. and also more aligned with what I would consider to be authentic identity. Mm-hmm. And so the relationship between the head, you know, mm-hmm. meaning consciousness, <laughs> and the hair has been a sweet spot, I think, for me to really um, be my whole self, uh, for me to continue to grow, but then also to have a very rich and rewarding and dynamic relationship with my patients, Mm -hmm. you know, as we share and learn together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you brought up some really interesting points about balance, about alignment. Right. um, And even aggressiveness in terms of our beauty techniques. Right. Um, So you were bringing up hair loss. And so as I think you were the person who shared Dr. Lindsay's articles with me initially, Mm -hmm. that it's estimated that about 47% of black women experience hair loss. And so I'm curious from your perspective, why are black women losing their hair? Well, you know, so it's it's multifactorial, mm-hmm. meaning there are a variety of different reasons why. But, you know, but at, at the core, it's a combination of both genetics and environment. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, from a genetic perspective, the anatomy, the physical anatomy of black hair is more susceptible to damage and breaking because mm-hmm. the curls, the fact that the hair can curl, from an anatomical perspective, those are like sort of micro breakpoints or micro mm-hmm. areas of weakening on the hair shaft. Okay. So just, you know, sort of the physiology and physical appearance of the hair allows for it to be more susceptible to breakage. Okay. And then on the environmental side, right, the cultural side, there are all these other things that, unfortunately, uh, some things that black women are doing, you know, related to the chemicals and relaxers and sometimes the styles that are too tight and pulling that also sort of um, uh, accelerate or activate, mm-hmm. you know, that susceptibility to damage. So it's, a, it's almost a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. And then when we throw in stress, you know, the daily stresses of life, uh, that, you know, it ends up being, you know, a combination of things that at the end of the day, increases the manifestation of hair loss. And so b- hair loss, particularly uh, in women of African descent, you know, has reached, you know, epidemic proportions. Mm. And the reality is to sort of address that, it's going to take a multi-tiered, multidisciplinary, <laughs> and multi-layered approach. And mm-hmm. so I'm excited about mm-hmm. we've been, I mean, that's what kind of brought us yeah. together, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to recognize, hey, if we're going to get this right, we got to have doctors, psychologists, cosmetologists, artists, you know, architects, everybody. We need the whole team. Yeah, this is a system, <laughs> holistic approach. Most and so definitely. I guess to even clarify for our listeners what your role is in that. Right. When people come and schedule an appointment mm-hmm. with you, 
and they're experiencing hair loss, what happens? Like, yeah. what actually are the steps involved in assessment to actually treatment of hair loss? Right. And so for me, and I, I think, you know, we've created, you know, what I consider to be an integrative system here. And okay. we call it do good hair, okay. right? right? Do good hair. Do good hair. And, and, and a part of that do good hair system is that the hair is an acronym, you know. And so the do good H is doing good health. And a part of that doing good health is both mental, right, mm-hmm. and physical. And so, you know, when we've done things together, we've had, you know, program related to, you know, mental we health. You know, we're doing Cuba. <laughs> you know, I've, I've actually, you know, commissioned like Step Africa at oh, one point. You, we, did, we did dance. We did, did dance. And so the do good health for us involves both mental and physical mm. activities. You know, we've taught, we've taught meditation, mm. you know, here mm-hmm. in the practice. Yeah. And so... Uh, that's the H to do good. A is do good adornment. And I really, mm-hmm. truly believe that there's a there's a wonderful role for beauty. And I truly believe that beauty, you know, enhances and enlivens spirit. And so, but beauty still needs to be, have in many ways a cultural context, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm very much uh, an active proponent of saying like, I, we can do the beauty, we can enhance beauty, but let's do it with some cultural context mm-hmm. and do it in a manner that's health mindful. So we've had program related mm-hmm. to adornment with the Smithsonian, um, um, and we've done a number of different programs, uh, um, really bringing photographers in to sort of have <laughs> sessions for adornment. <laughs> Uh, the do good eye is doing good identity, mm. you know, and for me, the doing identity, you know, even in the earlier part of our conversation, I talked about identity being an organic component, a cultural component and spiritual component. So, you know, with our do good identity, we really recognize in many ways that art and spirit kind of go hand in hand. And so we've done things like genetic in uh, testing, hmm. you know, and folks have come and got their DNA ancestry testing oh, with yeah, us. African ancestry. Right, right. But African mm-hmm. ancestry with Gina and we've 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 taught, you know, courses to help folks with genealogy to help mm-hmm. sort of increase their 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 ancestral literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but by doing that, by helping people reclaim uh, some of those sort of ancestral roots, we've used that as a sort of jumping point for creating art. Mm-hmm. And so we've had artists come in and, and use the information that from the genealogy mm-hmm. to create collage portraits. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the R is do good restoration. And mm-hmm. a part of the restoration at its core is recognizing that in the practice, we can really help people restore their hair. Mm-hmm. You know, and that involves analysis and that involves... You know, there are different techniques mm-hmm. uh, that we use here. Yeah, tell us about yeah. that. I want to hear yeah. about some of these different so the bi- methods. So the big, and so what I, even with the restoration now, it ends up being, you know, things that are non-invasive and things that have the capacity to be invasive. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of the practice is that we can actually go from, I say, A to Z mm-hmm. related to hair restoration. And a lot of the non-invasive things at this stage, you know, and there's still topical things that you can do apply. Okay, so there, there are things that can grow back your that, hair. That body. can help to slow down mm-hmm. the process of loss, minimize shedding, right? Mm-hmm. And then also increase hair in the growing stage. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a big part of, I would say, where we sort of focus on that now, you know, you've heard of like low-level light therapy mm-hmm. or laser light has been oh, shown tell, to... Tell us more about yeah. that. So <laughs> you've got ointments, you've got right, right, lights. Right, right, I want right. to hear these things. So it's a lot. I mean, in the sense that... A lot of the topical things, they have connections, 
obviously to sort of our organic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, roots mm-hmm. and within a lot of the essential oils, whether it's rosemary, mm-hmm. you know, sandalwood, cedarwood. So we've actually formulated a variety of different sort of essential oil formulations mm-hmm. to help with activating growth, wow. things that help to calm inflammation, and mm-hmm. also oils that help sort of cultivate more of what we call a uh, a, con- a meditative state mm. to reduce stress, and so That's yeah, so topically yeah. we do that. It's mm-hmm. almost like we have we call it detox, you mm-hmm. know, where we can remove impurities from the scalp, you know, to help clean the scalp and help to create a healthy environment mm-hmm. for the hair to grow. And so that's like an entry level, just yeah. this idea: let's detox the scalp so that we can prepare that environment mm-hmm. so that hair can grow healthy. And so that's an entry point. And from that, we layer on sometimes, you know, light therapy. Light therapy can help to increase blood circulation, mm. you know, at the level of the scalp. Um, we do things, it's called platelet-rich plasma, or PRP yeah, injection. Yeah, that one. Tell, yeah, tell me. So that we draw the blood, and your blood has a variety of different healing factors and growth factors. So whenever there's an injury in the body, the blood sort of circulates to that area, and things that are in the blood are released to promote healing. And so we can almost, I say sometimes, trick the body, you know, <laughs> By injecting some of that, you know, highly, a more higher concentration of healing agents that are in the platelets into areas where there's hair loss. Mm -hmm. And when we do that injection, it's almost like if you can think about giving your scalp environment your own fertilizer for growth. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that, you know, that not the last thing, but a, a more invasive thing is that we do transplantation. And so that's surgical restoration. And we have really niche expertise for the surgical approach to hair restoration, particularly for women of African descent. And so my previous life, you know, (laughs) you know, as the facial plastic surgeon, you know, really has allowed me to be very sensitive and have mastery on how to make incisions, you know, on skin of color and to do them in a manner that minimizes uh, scarring. Mm. And so there are different approaches to hair transplantation where we can take hair from, you know, typically areas of the head. And usually it's the back portion mm-hmm. because the hair that's at the back has the really strong DNA to almost always grow. So if you think about it, think about when you see men and we see women, uh, people with hair loss and hair thinning, usually the area in the back you hold on to. It's just yes. like it's still strong back here, but what about up top? <laughs> So that, yes. it, for whatever reason, that hair has really strong DNA. Mm. And so we can transplant hair from that back area into areas that are thinning. Mm-hmm. And it grows, and it's able to grow in a natural way. And so um, we're really good at doing that. Mm-hmm. And so there are techniques to be able to do it with making an incision. Mm-hmm. And there are also newer techniques to do it where we don't even have to make the incision that you can almost pull individual hairs kind of one by one from different areas. Wow. And mm. so the you know so I like to say that I have a full you know toolbox mm-hmm. to really help with sort of restoring hair but doing it in a manner that's aligned with one sense of their beauty consciousness, their health consciousness and their identity consciousness. Wow. This is great in terms of there are so many different methods Towards healing. Most definitely. And so you really have developed a model um, that incorporates all these different dimensions. I do want you to, just for a second, articulate 
what the different types of hair loss are right. um, okay. in terms of the alopecias. If you could just even quantify that and explain what it what it looks like or the names. Right. So there. So alopecia is essentially sort of the medical. It's a generic term, Mm -hmm. but a generic medical term for hair loss, okay? And so there are various types of alopecia. And I would say probably in women, uh, in black women, probably the the ones that are most common, I like to say, is there is traction alopecia, and that's hair loss that is related to prolonged pulling Mm -hmm. and tension. So sometimes braids, uh, and even weeds in some instance can... Uh, create increased susceptibility to traction alopecia. Even like locks too. Like yeah, with the and locks too. Yeah, every so anything where there's excessive pulling and tension mm-hmm. can be can set folks up for traction. So that's one of the tricky spaces because sometimes folks are like, hey, I am aligned with my cultural identity. I'm doing <laughs> cultural grooming. They've been doing braids and locks, you know, in Africa major times. But at the end of the day, prolonged pulling and tension still can be um, result in hair loss and hair thinning, particularly in today's climate where there's stress on top of that, Mm -hmm. poor diet, poor eating, and other chemicals. Mm -hmm. And so whereas in ancient times it may not have been, you know, as susceptible to causing hair loss, but today, Mm -hmm. you know, we eat McDonald's and, you know, and and, and Popeyes, you know, chicken sandwich, Popeyes. That's not good for your hair. Right. That's what the Popeyes chicken sandwiches. So traction alopecia is probably Mm -hmm. most common in black Mm -hmm. women. And it's actually the type of hair loss that's most preventable. And if caught early, most reversible. Mm -hmm. And even at later stages when it's more severe, it still is a type of hair loss that most readily responds to curative treatments like transplant. Mm. So that's traction. Okay, traction alopecia. alopecia. The mm-hmm. second one that I see a lot of is there are different types of scarring alopecias, mm. right? And probably the two ones that are probably most common in practice is one that happens in the central area of the scalp and it has a really fancy long name called central centrifugal cicatricial alopecia. Okay, C-C-C-A. Right, so central, right, it's in the center. Centrifugal means that as it gets worse, it radiates outwards. Mm. Cicatricial, meaning that the scalp itself has a bit of a shiny appearance. Mm. C-C-C-A, okay? And so we see that a fair amount, and it happens more, almost, we used to think it almost more more exclusively in black women. Mm -hmm. And then I'm seeing more and more, which is interesting, of another type of scarring alopecia that's called a frontal fibrosing kind of scarring alopecia that happens in the hairline. So it could mimic sometimes what we think traction is. And so it's a subtlety to be able to say, hey, is this traction or is this a different type of scarring hair loss that's sort of mimicking uh, on traction? And we're seeing more and more of that, and that's a frontal fibrosing uh, alopecia. And probably the third one that I see a fair amount, uh, that's probably really the most common, is called androgenetic mm-hmm hair loss or female pattern balding and thinning. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the hair loss that happens to everybody as, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, hormones, hormones and genes as you get older. And the the pattern that happens in women is different than the pattern that happens in men. Mm -hmm. And so, but the bottom line is that the system, this idea of a do good hair system, Mm -hmm. it can really slow down that process too. 
treatment. Yeah, because I'm imagining if you do um, the treatment, but they're still engaging in a certain lifestyle, Style. That, exactly. that it would be challenging for the hair to grow or um, to address the loss. Yeah, you, you have me thinking about my own family. Um, <laughs> I grew up with a grandmother who wore a wig. Then um, the, the story was that she had taken some medication that made her hair fall out or just even my mom even negotiating aging versus pulling the hair Mm -hmm. just noticing her own thinness and always asking me what to do about it (laughs) so that this is something that comes up it makes me even think well it happened to me in terms of these different generations and what can I do now to even prevent hair loss is there something I can do to prevent hair loss and so the reality is that the uh, you know the hair you know the the Techniques and attitudes that would prevent hair loss are the same techniques and attitudes that prevent disease in general. Mm. And so I always tell Mm -hmm. folks, like, the healthy hair diet is the healthy you diet, right? And things that we do to help folks related to minimizing stress and tension Mm -hmm. from a hair perspective we also need to do things to minimize stress and tension okay. from a life perspective. Okay, so you say I need to be yeah. a therapist. Yeah, and so <laughs> at the end of the day, that's why I love hair, because people care very deeply mm-hmm. about their hair, and particularly mm-hmm. women, and particularly women of African descent. And so hair already um, has built-in connections with spirituality, it has built-in connections related to health. It has built-in connections related to our sense of beauty and well-being. And so, you know, it's just a great platform to really help people mm-hmm. ultimately grow into being who they're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You have clearly outlined the work that you do around hair, but I'm also mindful that you do so much more. Yeah, right. You are constantly producing ideas mm-hmm introducing people and creating communities related to wellness um, and the arts. So, Dr. Harris, what what projects are you working on right now and um, outside of this office? So the biggest thing, and for me, everything counts and everything is connected, (laughs) right? And so I'm very much excited about, you know, the focus of the practice really relates to it, in many ways, the head and the hair, mm-hmm. right? Because as, as a facial plastic surgeon, my core training was in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery, so mm-hmm. ear, nose, and throat. So I've, I've always been a head doctor. I've okay. always cared about senses, the senses. Yeah. And so whether it's ear, you know, smell, I've, that's what I've always been. Okay. And so I've been trying to figure out how we pull all this together. Mm-hmm. And so the practice really is focused at this stage on what I consider to be the head, it's almost like I have this cool acronym for head, but it's really looking at health, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's really looking at equity in many ways, mm-hmm. that, you know, social justice from a perspective. And there's a lot we know with hair mm-hmm. and political advocacy related yeah. to hair. Um, it's looking at health disparity mm-hmm. and recognizing that beauty is a doorway to really help start to look at health disparity in a more culturally competent way. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at arts, architecture, and design. And so my thing is trying to create new space, mm-hmm. but really new physical space mm-hmm. where we can, you know, I would say do integrative care in a very meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And so barbershops and beauty salons are very much a part of the core cultural fab- fabric of <laughs> African and 
communities in general, globally, yeah. and particularly in urban settings, that physical space has a lot of power mm-hmm. related to communing people. Mm-hmm. You know, it has a lot of power in the context of healing, and it has a lot of power in the context of sort of information and learning. And so I really feel that there's an opportunity to continue to rethink that space say, how can we further activate it? Mm-hmm. You know, how can we continue to make it even more dynamic? And so a big part of the practice is really looking at architecture mm-hmm. and design and built environments and saying, how can we start to rethink the spaces that we come to for healing mm-hmm. and what do they look like? And so a lot of the conversation is space. Let's create safe mm-hmm. space. <laughs> Let's break down barriers. But a lot of that is more of a consciousness space. Mm-hmm. I'm very much excited about dealing with consciousness space, but also truly dealing with the built environment. What's in there? How is it designed? What does the furniture look like? Mm. What's hanging on the walls? And so we're really looking to prototype really new ways of um, thinking, Mm -hmm. but also new spaces to actually think in Mm. and looking at how they can be integrated in a manner to promote, you know, health and healing. Wow. Yeah. Just thinking about space. I know there's a lot of popularity of the Marie Kondo method and all these mm-hmm. different um, agendas of creating order or decluttering. And mm-hmm. But it, it, there's a real science behind Almost it in terms definitely. of the colors or the shapes and textures of our environment really shaping our consciousness, our identities and our health and wellness. Right. So I've even heard that you've been presenting at like architectural right, right. conferences. How does a plastic surgeon right. present at architectural? Right. How does that work? Because I always said that we're going to blend and we're going <laughs> to unify architecture, being an architect and a physician. And mm-hmm. so my, I, I'm, I would love to create a whole new discipline, and I'm working mm-hmm. on that. And that new discipline really blends uh, the practice of, of, of architecture, uh, the practice of design, mm-hmm. uh, you know, artistic pursuits with health and wellness. And mm-hmm. so my ability to operate beyond silos, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. to travel above these holes, these disciplinary walls, to really see how at the end of the day we have to truly come together, you know, as a community, and this is also a professional community, to provide optimum mm-hmm. care. And so, you know, I was, I've presented at the Smithsonian. There's a mm-hmm. big conference on... Uh, and really called changing lands, changing the landscape. Mm-hmm. Really looking at architecture in the 21st century, and particularly mm-hmm. the role of uh, of global black, you know, and global African mm-hmm. architecture. And so, you know, I've I've very much felt that as medicine and health and healing goes from this Western body centric approach to a more you know, you can see it shifting to this idea of an Eastern approach that's body, mind, and spirit, mm-hmm. you know, to be more integrative. Yeah. My whole thing is like, hey, we got to look south. Yes. We got to continue to mm-hmm. really recognize where does global Africa play into this and how do we really have a model that can be more inclusive, that can also celebrate the richness and the diversity of the global African community mm-hmm. in the context of health and healing. Yeah. And so, you know, so that shifting the landscape at the Smithsonian, we I, I uh, was a part of a, pan- a panel that mm-hmm. really started to look at that uh, in a very dynamic mm-hmm. way that included sort of African-centered thought. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done, I've done lectures down at Tuskegee, mm-hmm. you know, at the School of Architecture. You, you, you on a speaking uh, tour. Well, it's not a tour, <laughs> but, um, but the beauty, the thing for me is really connecting health, uh, connecting sort of equity, connecting mm-hmm. art, 
connecting architecture and design into one one unified model. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a, I call it more of a head first approach mm-hmm. to whole person care. Mm-hmm. And we're going to launch a lot of what happens with that hopefully in 2020. I can see the vision. Yeah. yeah this, this is beautiful. And so I just really see how you work in this beauty work. I know that there, we were talking about earlier, beauty influencers, but it mm-hmm. sounds like right. you are one in terms yeah. of really making sure people are connected. Right. That that's how beauty happens and that's how health happens. Right, right. So this is just so exciting. Every time I come to your office, I feel all healed <laughs> and restored. Right. It's so beautiful in here. Yeah. And so um, I'm mindful that that's one of your medicines that you offer in terms of creating beautiful spaces Spaces. and experiences. Um, So I could clearly see why people come to this space to be with you and want to collaborate with you and trust you to take care of them. (laughs) So I I guess in terms of wrapping some things up, I I do want um, you to tell us a little bit about how people can get in touch with you or projects they can get involved with or just even some sort of concluding messages for our listeners about this um, journey that you're about to go on for 2020. Yeah, you know, I think we may have said it in this conversation um, today, but I know I've said it to you before. (laughs) And and, and, and in many ways, you know, I do consider myself a beauty doctor, mm-hmm. you know that that title probably fits better than plastic surgeon. <laughs> but and 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 as a beauty doctor, I recognize, you know, that beauty truly does enliven spirit. Mm-hmm. And a part of where I see the practice, the systems that we're creating here, is in many ways to be sort of an aesthetic evangelist, mm-hmm. you know, so that we can spread ourselves out and we can recognize that not, you know, it's interesting that you gave me a pen, a little pen a number of years ago, talking about rituals sort of cool the head, mm-hmm. rituals cool the head. And in many ways, we can think about rituals actually cure the head, mm-hmm. right? And so if I can create a new innovative environment where the rituals that we practice in that environment go across disciplines, that we have a whole new system for what? Curing the head, mm-hmm. right? And if we get our heads together, right, all the rest unfolds, you know, in a manner that truly people can love themselves, they can love others, and ultimately love God and love spirit. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the take-home message. Ashe. Ashe. Yeah. Yeah. From, from one head doctor to another, <laughs> yeah, we've got to put our heads together. Exactly. This is exciting work. So uh, do you have contact information, a website people can look at, or Instagram? How do people follow you? How do they so, get information? So, you know, and so I'm more of the older school physician, <laughs> right? So my IG, I'm still working on that. I mean, I have a personal page, you know. Ooh, I have a personal you? page. You know, that's Monty, Monty Oid, you know, 66. That's out there. I have, uh, we're building uh, uh, Instagram for the new uh, concept that's coming out in 2020. That's okay. not live yet. And then my existing website, you know, is, 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 is um, Harris Face, www.harrisface, H-A-R-R-I-S-F-A-C-E.com. But as I say, that website is, I would say, like the 2.0 version of me. And the 3.0 is, is, um, is, is on the cusp of being launched in the new year. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got that website. I'll post it in the notes as well. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to this New Year's resolution of 2020. So much is happening. Right. And so um, I'll definitely be following up all right. about all these different <laughs> projects. And so as always, you can follow the latest psychotherapy information at our website, psychotherapy.org and Instagram handle at psychotherapy. And of course, if you love this podcast, please consider sharing it. Share with people who are negotiating their own self-esteem and beauty, with people who are looking for a deeper African aesthetic and space and appearance. Share with people who are experiencing hair loss. Dr. Harris is an expert in addressing black women's hair loss. So as we said, about 47% of black women are experiencing hair loss. Share with him. People travel from all over. over the world to get his services and are completely satisfied. You can see the results on the website, too. And so, um, yeah, please share. And in closing, let's remember that a path to healthy hair is having strong roots. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. <laughs> Afia. <laughs>